With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's episode, we'll be talking about uh, the DGAs, some True Detective slash HBO news, the Super Bowl, and Sundance. Is that too, is that too much? Is that too much stuff? It's, it's probably too much. Not enough. We'll just go through everything really fast. Yeah. I love it. All right. All right. We'll try. It millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Speaking of fast, let's get to the clicker. Uh, question. This is actually related to another topic other than our first clicker, but did you download the new commercial with Chris Evans and John Krasinski did I in download which it? John Krasinski says the word clicker? clicker in a Boston accent so that we can use it for our clicker segment. Well, maybe I'll add that in right here. The clicker? Or maybe not. <laughs> we'll see. <what> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that's just a lot of dead air, yeah, then that there's your answer. Know, yeah. Great. Skipping ahead to the clicker. Our recap <laughs> of the biggest news items from this past week. Libby, you were at the DGAs. I was at the DGAs. It was a nice time, boys. I had a nice time at the DGAs. I sat in the ballroom. So what what won big at the DGAs? It was sort of HBO's night? It was HBO's night as far as, um, well, most of the big categories go. I will say that it was hosted by... um, Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow, I believe his second time hosting. They did not allow, he did not allow his opening monologue to be streamed into the press room. Hmm. Which was a curious choice because there were members of the press in the, you know, ballroom who heard it and know that his entire 11 minute bit led up to a joke about how uh, director's chairs are uncomfortable and why hasn't anyone ever fixed that? Did you did you ever think about how director's chairs are uncomfortable? See you next year, Judd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's good enough to lock up uh, the gig next year. He goes between genres with each of his pictures. So this was just like last year was kind of the uproarious, uh, knocked up style monologue. Mm. This is more of the kind of in between. This is forty or no wait, yeah, this yeah. is forty monologue. And then next year, I don't know what his next movie is, but it'll be that one. If this was his, this is forty, shouldn't it have been uh, four hours and twenty minutes long. Whoa, burn. Good one. <laughs> well, the DGA's is notoriously long. It's very long. So you're not wrong. Aside from Judd Apatow. HBO had a big night in the drama and ca- and comedy categories. No? Yes? Yes, they did very well. Unlimited series. Of the, um, I'd say, four major uh, television awards given out. And, of course, there were also awards for children's programming and... And, uh, and the Don Roy King uh, honorary uh, uh, award for... Yeah, for, exactly. For, for right. directing Saturday Night Live. Right. His... Uh, Has he won 35 in a row? When is it? <laughs> I think he missed one a couple years ago. It was uh, it was heartbreaking. Then, then there was a riot. I do love I did love love the idea of when it's the late night shows that get nominated. It's like uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin and uh, Nickelback. 
Yeah. It's like, remember that episode? You remember that episode of the late night where Stephen Colbert, where Doris Kearns Goodwin was on and Nickelback was a musical act? I don't know how we that all, didn't win we all remember every award. <laughs> we all remember where we were. Anyway, A3 had a great night at the DGAs, especially as far as television goes. Nicole Cassell of Pod Favorite Watchmen won the DGA award for drama for her work on the pilot episode of Watchmen. It's summer and we're running out of ice. Bill Hader won the DGA for the second year in a row for comedy direction. Um, Finally getting recognized for his supremely amazing work on Ronnie slash Lily, which was just a dynamite episode from season two of Barry. Mm -hmm. And then of course, Johan Rank won for the like 50th consecutive time for his direction on Chernobyl. Sherman's March. If you've been listening. <laughs> sure, wow. Sure. That's for the diehards. Chernobyl. Wow. Chernobyl continues. Do we say Sherman the same, the same way we say Chernobyl? I mean, I don't say either. So. <laughs> what? Is it Chernobyl? What? I, a callback. I don't know I, how you say it. Those were not the only awards. It was a very busy awards weekend, actually, though, because also the animated uh, the Annie Awards were this weekend, as were the ASC Awards, which recognizes cinematography. Um, that was interesting for cinematography. We had some shows that you wouldn't necessarily see get recognized elsewhere, like uh, The Terror Infamy, one for their cinematography, Handmaid's Tale, one for cinematography, which is not a great surprise, but uh, so did Project Blue Book. Which uh, <laughs> I don't think any of us saw wow. coming. At the Annie Awards, Netflix did very well. Love for Bojack Horseman. Love for Tuca and Birdie. Uh, love for Klaus. Klaus, baby. Not television. Sorry. Very exciting, though. We are clearing out of actually of awards. Last night, it was costumes, which went to Schitt's Creek for contemporary. Went to... The modern, marvelous, whatever, Mrs. Maisel. The modern, marvelous. <laughs> the modern, marvelous for a period. <laughs> went to uh, Game of Thrones for sci-fi fantasy and uh, went to Boxes, The Masked Singer. Ah. The variety, reality, live television, the super, the post Super Bowl What a series. segue. The oh, segue. What a segue. Singer. The mass Singer. I feel like there's no trust in the room that I can get us to the next point. <laughs> we're just like, very eager. Where is the trust? The clicker? Yes, it's true. It's true. This Sunday is the Super Bowl. And The mass Singer will be airing after said Super Bowl. There's nine people listen to this. Or no, no, no. This is coming out before. No, this comes out. <laughs> How long do you think it takes to get I'm these things out? I'm very thrown off. This entire week has been By the time people listen to this, the Super Bowl will have happened. <laughs> that could be true. Some people and wait. The, and the Chiefs will have one. Some people save it up. That's Leo's bold prediction. <laughs> 22, to <laughs> 22 to 2. 22 to 2. You're going 22 to 2? No, 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 you no. liar. Oh, sorry. No. We're Run getting official score predictions, just so we're on the record right now. Yeah. Leo pitched one earlier, but he wants to revise it already. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm going to stick with my gut. 27-13, Kansas City. All right, Libby, do you care to, to venture a guess in the <laughs> battle between Kansas City and San Francisco? 42-28. Wow. wow. This is an exciting Super Bowl. Making so, up for last year. Yeah. Oof. 42. For, who? 20. Yeah. Oh, Kansas winning. City. Sorry. Not that anyone asked, but I'm going to say it's going to be uh, <laughs> 30, 31 <laughs> to 20 uh, San Francisco. Whoa. Whoa. Sandwich bet? <laughs> Libby has given her uh, like, yeah, nonverbal agreement. I... Sandwich bet. 
Okay. Livy's really excited about her three sandwiches. <laughs> All of which, mean... by the way, will come from future sponsor of the podcast, Arby's. We've got the meats. <laughs> um, but no, I think with the Super Bowl, obviously everybody's going to look toward the ratings to see how the NFL does. Their NFL championship games uh, dipped a bit. Um, in part because the games were bad. bad. Like the Titans made a game of it, but they were the early game. The uh, Niners-Packers game was a blowout because I sold my firstborn child to make sure that the Packers didn't get into the Super Bowl because that's what you do as a Bears fan. Um, I think they also felt like worse games because the week before's games were good. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, there was there was definitely feels like something that's true regardless of whether it's actually true <laughs> well, with the Packers, they were nearly upset by the seahawks which was a pretty exciting thing the titans continued their miracle run uh, derrick henry baby beautiful to see that's so pretty um but yeah no i mean I, I think one of the bigger thing one of the bigger elements for for television will be the halftime show uh which is now jennifer JLo's lopez and shakira crowning moment rather than her oscar acceptance speech as it should be that's disappointing <sighs> but we'll take whatever j-lo we can get um so that'll be something. And then as alluded to earlier, the Mass Singer is making its big premiere after the Super Bowl. Uh, that will obviously goose the ratings for season two's average, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see kind of whether or not that lights a similar fire into a reality show that is built on just pure insanity. And now that we've seen a lot of the insanity for so long, can it sustain that level of excitement? I, I don't know. Is there, um, there's also an element of this. You know, Kansas City is not a huge market. Correct, but people love watching Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Madden cover star, so that's some exciting stuff. Uh, you alluded to this earlier, Ben, but are there any ads that you've seen that you're excited for? Absolutely not. Like, not, uh, not the clicker? <laughs> yeah, right? was, was that good? Did I do a good job? I don't, even, I don't even think about it as a Super Bowl ad anymore because I've watched it so many times that's this true week. That's true of like, most ads most super bowl ads now also I, i'm sad that it's not a 10 minute short that also has like mark Wahlberg, damon affleck like get everyone you can possibly get why is tina fey not there yeah they should have had a few oh, extra people love that pop like, up it would have been great if like julianne moore popped in with her 30 rock boston accent they would not let her or if they did so like if they did uh they released an extended clip or an extended version for the super bowl or like an extended version online yeah you were like see more see more stars reaction boston well and I, I think what's interesting about like this year i've seen a lot more complaining about the super bowl ads coming out early even though the reason they're coming out early is because they're so expensive to buy that they cannot only exist on television for that game otherwise they're not worth the value um but we've also seen a lot of the uh movie studios decrease their buys during the game a lot of them are doing pre and post show uh trailers only because they know they can release the trailers online get a little boost from the pre and post show ratings which are still very high without spending the 5.6 million dollars for a 30 second spot um and that's just i mean it just makes perfect sense to me i would still love to see a little more showmanship in terms of those ads for something like the hyundai ad where there's a potential there to expand it and bring in some cameos so that the people who watch the game are still rewarded in some way with a special something that you can only see then. Um, I think that aspect is kind of undervalued in marketing um, kind of surge and buzz and whatever that stupid words are. But, um, but I definitely understand what they're doing and it seems like it's the only option. We're only going to keep seeing more of it. So I'm I'm just sad because that, 
not that she has a ownership over Boston accent, but like legitimately that Rachel Dratch character is based on a sketch that her and Tina Fey did back in Second City and like oh, yeah. in their review. So it's like, it would have been nice to see Tina Fey in it as well. Not that she needs money or attention. Exposure. Yeah. Well, we all know that Mark Wahlberg wants money. So the Mark Wahlberg, not the fact, they, did, they didn't ask him or he, he wanted more money than his female co-stars. He wants Ooh. all the money in the world. <laughs> we were in the same place. The clicker. Hey guys, so I've been in Sundance for the past couple of days, but I heard there was some big, true detective news. All right, so Nick Pizzolatto, he's out. He's out. And he's taking McConaughey with him. <laughs> according, <laughs> according to reports, uh, Nick Pizzolatto's new overall deal with FX Productions and Fox 21 TV um was an amicable split with his former home at HBO. He's been under an overall deal there since True Detective first premiered. It was, I think, renewed two or three times since that first, since the first deal was made. Um, but it seemed that they'd reached a point where Nick Pizzolatto was more interested in making more programs than uh, necessarily just doing the True Detective franchise. And yet uh, HBO knowing that they have a hit in the True Detective franchise, knowing that new cast is enlisted every season and that there's a new plot and a new story. And they recognize that that can be something that comes out once a year. Uh, whereas if Nick Pizzolano was going to write it, he needs more time than that for each one of his, he's released three seasons in six years. Uh, and that's, you know, literally half of the output that they'd want. So um, really it seemed like kind of a win-win for everybody. Pizzolatto is going to go make uh, a drama series at FX with Matthew McConaughey, which sounds uh, very similar to a true detective, at least tone, in the sense that I'm pretty sure McConaughey is playing a, a former reverend turned security guard uh, who, you know, has to solve a murder. <laughs> he picks up a case and he's got to <laughs> get to the bottom of it. Um, with another with a former deacon turned janitor and Woody Harrelson. <laughs> God, I'm just I'm waiting like, you know, it's coming, but just got to wait for that announcement. Um, and then HBO gets to retain the rights to the True Detective franchise. So and we now, can see Damon Lindelof's True Detective. <laughs> <laughs> well, if yeah, if Damon pivots from Watchmen anthology to True Detective anthology, that would be. Oh, you're going to be mad. You're no, going to be I'd, mad seeing Regina King on True Detective season four. I'd love it. I'd, I'd be thrilled. They can do a crossover for all I care. But I think that's a win for HBO in the sense that they are under a mandate to produce more television in general and more hits. True Detective is a hit. Um, Pizzolano will remain on board as an executive producer in name, even if he's not, you know, physically working on it. So they're going to get more of what they need and they haven't announced, you know, a season four yet, but you have a feeling it's coming and probably more seasons on a more consistent pace. So one of the biggest complaints over the first three seasons of True Detective is that there hasn't been a lot of experimentation in terms of quality. <laughs> well, uh, as a staunch defender of season one and season three, uh, I will ignore that comment. But there has been a call for uh, different perspectives, let's say. Uh, and it would be very exciting to see a lot of different filmmaker and writer pairings, if not, you know, single voiced filmmakers could step in and, and do their version on True Detective because it's a it's a you know a pliable genre. Like they can do a lot with it. So mm -hmm. here's hoping. And as a staunch defender of season two, <laughs> I should say that I had a traumatic brain injury before I started that sentence. <laughs> uh, transition. Transition to Sundance. 
where you did suffer speaking, a brain injury. Yeah, like speaking of traumatic brain injuries. Uh, it was sustained yeah. over the course of four days in, in IndieWire Sundance Studios, presented by Dropbox. We did 87 interviews. That's not an exaggeration. We did 87 interviews with the stars, cast, directors of the various films and shows premiering at Sundance. That's right, shows. You did get to see a lot of TV stars, though. You got to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I did. Exciting. We did, we did we did we did a bunch of bits with Julie Louis. Uh, she well, first of all, I was wearing my Uncut Gems pin, and Will Ferrell saw it. And first he goes, "What's that?" And I go, "It's you know Howard Ratner from Uncut Gems." And, and he goes, "He's like he was robbed. He was honestly robbed." That was a that was a common thread. One of the questions that we were asking all the all the groups that were coming through was, "Who are you rooting for at the Oscars?" And if it's someone that wasn't nominated, who who do you think should have been? A lot of parasite love. Across the board. Parasite was, if there was an unofficial ballot of the people coming through the studio, Parasite wins hands down. As for the biggest snub, the thing that was brought up the most uh, was definitely Adam Sandler uh, for Uncut Gems. The second thing, the thing that was brought up second most was uh, more Dolomite. Uh, Great. Yep. Agreed. Divine Joy mentioned uh, Ruth Carter. Widely considered a favorite. Missed it. But yeah, it, it was great. We had a little bit where Julia Louis, uh, she complimented our editor-in-chief dana's boots and then will ferrell said you got to come around he's like are you, you gotta shoot the boots right and i go well i go you have to stay there and we're gonna shoot it over your shoulders we're gonna do it so we're gonna flip it around and he's like you're gonna flip it around he's like yeah we're gonna flip it around he's like okay as long as you do that but yeah there, there are shows at sundance as well some shows premiering uh at the festival uh the interviews we did with sort of the tv corners were uh miracle workers season two mcmillions hulu's hillary Oh, I, I had I was wearing my Chicago my Chicago flag pin the day that Steve James there uh, just happened to be wearing it uh, when he was there for his Doc City so real. So Ben, of those things that I mentioned, what are you excited about? Those Sundance premieres that were at uh, at Sundance. I'm most excited about Steve James City so real. I am routinely now astonished by the work he's able to produce and how quickly he's able to produce it. The last time. Uh, he was at Sundance was in 2018 to kick off the inaugural indie episodic section, which is Sundance's kind of um, TV pilot program, if you will. They're, they're trying to find a home for independent television in the same fashion that they find home for independent film. Um, and he kicked off the section with his uh, with his 10 part docuseries set in a suburban Chicago high school um, that was eventually picked up by stars and um, received rave reviews. And yet. Because I believe the new platform uh, didn't quite work out in the way that the network had hoped, uh, it didn't quite get the awards attention that it deserved. But nonetheless, he's back with City So Real. Um, it's ostensibly about the 2019 Chicago mayoral election, uh, in which uh, incumbent mayor, controversial figure Rahm Emanuel dropped out, mm-hmm. um, which left the field wide open and resulted in uh, a record 21 candidates running for mayor. Um, the, the, this documentary is, is four parts. It's roughly four hours, maybe like a tad over four. Um, and it is both a, I hate using the phrase love letter to Chicago because it's, it's, it's not that, but as somebody who loves Chicago, just watching it to see the city in its current state and listen to an analysis of what's going on was wonderful. But it's also widely applicable and just easy to watch. Like it is something that's gonna suck people in 
almost immediately. And I feel like America to me was um, similar. This one's a little bit easier to process because the focus is so resolute. It's it's very much grounded in that election, but the issues that come up around it are are universal. And and it's it's done this way because this is kind of a moment of opportunity. Like this is a this is a chance for the city to change. Um, at a time when it's also a chance for the country to change. Watching this leading up to the 2020 election makes me both terrified even more for the process of the presidential election that's coming, um, but it's also very encouraging in terms of the results uh, in Chicago, but also the discourse among certain people within the city. That's not to say there aren't a lot of problems. There's a ton of problems, um, but the show itself is is just magnificent. I just loved it. So I, that's actually still looking for distribution at the time of our recording. So here's hoping that somebody scooped it up. Um, I'd say the Hillary documentary, which is coming to Hulu, is uh, pretty solid. They pack a lot in to four hours. That one's also four hours long. Um, but that one's largely framed around her 2016 failed presidential campaign. But but that one that one is is much more of a of a biopic. Like it does use the issues raised in that election to flash back and show everything she's gone to leading up to it um, and frame how certain conversations started during that election and either helped or hurt um, her conversation with the people. So that one I think is, it's worth watching if you're ready to relive that at this point, but I know a lot of people aren't, so go with God. Um, I, I will say that the specter, the specter of the 2020 election definitely hung over a lot of the projects at Sundance, uh, whether that was uh, purposeful on the part of the programmers um, or just something that is funneling into the zeitgeist with reckless abandon. Um, but Boys State, uh, a documentary that Apple bought, very much apparently has those those vibes of people say and do whatever they can to win. I mean, the Hillary, the most interesting thing that Hillary said about her doc, which I have not seen, um, is that the, the sort of trend of Trump's base, the xenophobia in the base is something that like women, her, like she experienced in her career where like the boys in her law school were like, we don't want you to take our job. And that that's something that, you know, his base definitely feels like whether it be people from other countries, people of other ethnicities, or uh, women themselves, they don't want, uh, they feel their jobs are in jeopardy. Yeah, the, the doc is very much a, an analysis of why, I think at its best, it's an analysis of why we don't yet have a female president, um, because it, it very much tackles a lot of the inherent sexism that went into how her campaign was covered and um, how her campaign was framed both inside and out. So um, I, I think that's something that's going to be somewhat unavoidable as 2020 continues to roll on. Aside from City So Real, which I do think can reach a wide audience if it's given the right platform, uh, McMillions, which is going to debut on HBO very soon, I think it's the first Monday in February, McMillions is about the monopoly, McDonald's monopoly scam, mm -hmm. which uh, is both well publicized at this point and being made into a feature film supposedly by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Uh, I think it's still in the development phase, so it's a ways off. But the way the documentary is made is one very episodic, which is nice to see, especially after Hillary, which just kind of rolls through the four hours. Um, and they find great subjects. Like the people who are the talking heads in this doc are characters who you can 
easily appreciate for like a moment to moment entertainment factor and then invest in later on. Um, so it's a very, very entertaining documentary. Uh, again, it had HBO backing, but it premiered at Sundance. It's I think six hours long and I've seen three of it. So, um, those were kind of the bigger points in TV. Mm -hmm. There were other indie episodic stuff that's still seeking distribution. Um, none of it was quite on par with city. So real or as many, they didn't even have as many independent projects as they had or international projects that are looking for domestic distribution as in years past. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where Sundance goes with TV in the, in the coming years, just because this seemed to be a bit of a downshift. So, uh, we didn't talk about Snowpiercer. <laughs> and this is the other, yep. this is the other aspect of Sundance, which is all, which is interesting to me because they do have premieres that happen outside of the festival itself. So mm -hmm. like Snowpiercer was there, but it's not actually part of the festival. It's just kind of, coasting off of its background like it's not an entry mm -hmm. in, in sundance it's just playing in park city um i think the same thing happened with uh, what's the bet show 20s yep um that that had a, had some sort of screening or presence at the at the festival same thing with miracle workers season two like the reason they were there wasn't because they were as, as part of the festival but you know this is an opportunity where a lot of press are available they're ready to talk um, a lot of them don't have time to watch those shows at this moment, so it can be a bit awkward to try to launch something out of that, as mm -hmm. we've seen in the past with stuff like Now Apocalypse for Stars. Um, but uh, but Sundance does seem to be trying to figure it out on that sense as well, which is, a, to me, one of the bigger challenges facing a lot of TV festivals, which is how much do we balance stuff that's like a big draw that has distribution that people really want to see, and how much can we rely on good quality pilots coming out so we can be the one to launch it and help it find a home? I feel like that balance is, is still really difficult for each festival that's aiming for it to strike. Like South by is much more in the, the marketing game of let's push these releases that are coming out. We'll be the ones to premiere them. So people will come out to see the stars and see them early but they're going to be on TV no matter what. They've got a small indie episodic section that launched just after Sundance's did. Um, ATX is very much a fan festival where they have the opportunities for people to try to network and meet people within the industry. And they have the pitch competition where you can go up and, and try to sell your show. Um, so they're working on those opportunities, but they're very much focused on kind of educating people about how to write a TV show and what's worked in the past and um, Libya's making a lot of faces right now, but uh, ATX is, is very much focused on the fan experience, whether it's just, I love this show and I want to talk about it, and you're coming back for a reunion, uh, to them having panels with casting directors where they explain the best things for actors to do uh, to get on tape or to move or to, or to get noticed or to get training or to whatever it is. So, um, but it, it is, it is an eternal balance it seems like of trying to figure out exactly the combination of factors that create enough for a festival to be a continual draw is it is it just because tele television operates on such a different the business model is different that the way that things go from pilot to series does not work the way that films get bought and distributed yeah i, I mean it, it's the 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 tv pilot production experience as it exists right now seems to be more of a sampling kind of thing where what you see can give you a good impression of what the show might become or the talents involved with the show, what you might be able to hire them for or find roles for them elsewhere. 
but it's not going to be a one-to-one thing like Sundance where the movie that premiered gets picked up by a distributor and launched as it was like it's that's just it's too hard to do um i'd also argue that it's newer there's not as it hasn't been around as long that people actually were trying to make pilots for a tv show a lot of them don't know how to make a pilot they know how to make a short film or they know how to make a movie that they think could eventually develop but they don't know how to develop it so the submission process is tough and then finally there's just such a gluttony of content already that's coming through the normal means, the studio system, um, that it doesn't leave a lot of room for, you know, big name talent to go do something on their own. Like a lot of the indie movies can succeed if they get one big name who takes SAG SAG scale for their payment um, and then pushes the movie into success and gets it noticed and gets it funded so it can be submitted to Sundance. But a lot of big names in TV they're just going to get a show. Like they're going to have one. If they've got an idea and they want to get it made, they can pitch it themselves and get it out there. Right. I think one thing that the festivals are helpful with are those people who fall in between people who are in the industry, but are not leading men or women. Um, In my experience with like NYTVF, you will see submissions there from people who do have a career in television writing, or they, I mean, Carrie Preston would show up, Something interesting is that Showtime's work in progress started at Sundance. Like, it premiered at Sundance as an independent pilot. They wrote and filmed it on their own in Chicago. Um, the creator, Abby McEnany and Tim Mason. And Tim Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, if the internet can be trusted, it aired at Sundance. And then Lily Wachowski joined it. And I assume show, the Showtime pickup came after that? The Showtime pickup was definitely after Sundance. I'm pretty sure that we knew Lily got involved before it premiered at Sundance, but after it was picked up at Sundance. So, like, it okay. had announced that it was going to Sundance. I think that's how Lily kind of became aware of it, or they'd submitted it to her. I'm not really sure. Um, but I'm pretty sure heading into that year when I was going to watch it, I knew that this was the show that was going to be developed with Lily. Right, right. And I I mean, it's sort of the dream because it started as an independent pilot, ends up on one as as one of the best shows currently on TV. And bringing Lily and Showtime into it didn't make it into a different show. Lily serves largely as sort of professional oversight. Um, So... All of the episodes are directed by Tim Mason. Every episode outside of the pilot is written by Abby and Tim and then Lily. And then the pilot's written by Abby and Tim. All of the all of the production on the show, uh, it's filming, it's post, is all done in Chicago. So it's not like they picked it up and was like, okay, but what if you lived in Silver Lake instead? Because that changes the DNA of the show. Um it is basically the platonic ideal for one of those Sundance independent episodic yeah, for, shows. Yeah, for, literally for anybody who makes an independent pilot, right. who wants to make television, who isn't just saying, well, I made a short film and I don't know what to do with it. This is the dream. Like you, you need, you need a platform to announce your presence to the right people and then start taking those meetings and, and, get with the people who know how to develop your idea properly. So Sundance more Without than anything fucking with it. is advocacy. Yes. They're saying we're putting our stamp on this. 
this is worthwhile. I'll say that like Sundance, a lot of people probably don't think of Sundance. Like this is where I send my pilot to. Yeah, it's not TV. It's, it's I mean, it's not a TV festival. It's a film festival moonlighting in television because television's um, legitimacy is finally growing beyond. And not and not to and not to take anything away from like Abby, Tim, or any of the people that were like Steve, the Steve James of the world. Like these are people. I'm sure Abby and Tim were represented by CAA or someone already because they were on. Tim was on the main stage, probably did a ton of commercial work. Uh, Abby's been at Second City for ages. Um, like we shared a clip from the ride, did we not? That has the backing of the of one of the Duplass brothers. That's both, yeah. Jay and Mark Duplass are, are backing that. So, that's a short form series too. So I mean, there th- these there are people who are already sort of in the know to like say like Sundance might be a good place for this. I think a lot of other independent creators wouldn't think that. Well, and it's it's interesting because I honestly I've had these conversations with enough people, both like professionally and just a lot of my friends out here are actors. Um, they don't know what to do with TV stuff. Like if they if they wrote a TV script, they have no idea where to send it. They don't know anything about these festivals or what they can offer. Um, they know a little bit about the labs that are out there, um, but but kind of just growing the awareness that that TV is not a like a, a, a backstop for film that like if you tried to make a movie and it ended up being too short <laughs> or too long, then you should take it to, to TV. You need to focus on it to understand how to be successful in in this field. Um, just just trying to get that out there from the get-go is going to be helpful. So like that's why, to me, it's very helpful that Sundance is doing what it's doing, um, that it's providing this place and, and creating this curation and not giving a stamp to just about anything, uh, even if you know, they need more shows. Were we just talking about Sundance? Yeah. I got a great segue. At Sundance, there was a party hosted by Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman. Hey, I know those names. Uh, our editor-in-chief and our publisher and our chief film critic were all there in attendance. Great. For a new streaming platform that stands for Quick Bites. It's weird Quick, we haven't heard of this. Quick Bites. Quick Bites. Quick Bites. Uh, our chief film critic, if I can, uh, I'm going to th- spill the beans, said he watched eight minutes of Chance the Rapper's new punked show which will be debuting on Quibi. Quibi rhymes with Libby. Libby, do you have a show on Quibi yet? No. Ah, dang it. No, and it's starting to hurt my feelings. I love that it was that big of a buildup to Quibi rhymes with Libby. (laughs) (laughs) Chance the Rapper has a punked remake. You know, Chance the Rapper. Episodes are eight minutes long. Is in Steve James' City So Real docuseries at Sundance. I'm excited to see City So Real. I'm excited because that was the year I was not in Chicago. And yeah. I would like to see what was going on the year I wasn't in yeah, Chicago. find out. Millions of screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. You can keep going. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Yeah, do, that voice. yeah, do it. <laughs> you can keep doing it. You started it. Finish it. Our theme music features excerpts of classic YouTube video Bjork talking about her TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brideson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at at Millions of Little Screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Bent Traverse, and 
at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere else podcasts are listened to, sold. We don't sell it. So leave a review and maybe we'll mention your critiques and take your notes. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>